0: Talking Illinois high school football. If your goals are as high as you talk about tonight tonight, you go out and just take one more step.
1: One, two, three,
0: it's a view from the West. And it starts right now. Welcome back to View from the West podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Greg Armstrong, joined by the Titan of Twitter, the savant of scoring updates, Mitch Stormer. Mitch, you've been, you've been killing it on Twitter, man. You, you, your Twitter game getting stronger each week. It's, I'll tell you this, it's getting a lot
1: easier uh, as we move on with less games to, uh, to update uh, every Saturday. So, uh, But, yeah, it's been fun, uh, you know, interacting with, with different accounts who do the same thing and uh, reporters and fans. So, yeah, it's been a lot of fun and, um, you know, glad to have at least uh, one more week to talk about it.
0: Yeah, well, Mitch, you were uh, you were keeping us updated on Saturday. I was walking the sidelines at Fulton Lena Winslow out in Lena. We'll get to that game in a minute. But the sad reality is the later in the playoffs we get, the more teams from our area drop off. So at, at the latest count, the Western Big Six is out. The Lincoln Trail is out. The Three Rivers Athletic Conference is out. But Mitch... We got one conference standing strong. Yep. And man, Kyle Kampmeyer is beaming from ear to ear at NUICfootball.com because yep. that Northwest Upstate Illini, man, they keep winning football games this time of year. So Mitch, we're going to get into it. We're going to talk about the eight-man state championship game coming up this weekend, coming up Friday night. That is an all NUIC matchup. We'll, yep. we'll start there in a minute, and then we'll kind of go through the list of 1A on down we had uh you know some teams competing in 1A and we had Princeton in 3A and we'll just go down the list and kind of talk about the brackets and talk about what we got coming up when we get to 3A Mitch we might have to take a little side debriefing because yeah there's been plenty of discussion about the publics versus private schools and i think i think it's time we need to have a little breakdown a little discussion on what's going yeah. on in the IHSA and whether it's right, whether it's wrong, the realities of what it all is. So we'll get into all that. I just wanted to give people a preview. And just so everybody knows, regardless of what happens from here on out, we have Lena Winslow, obviously still in the 11-man ranks in Class 1A. We have the eight-man state championship. We'll keep doing podcasts. We'll do a podcast next week. Hopefully we're talking Lena Winslow in a state championship game. But, Mitch, we also we got a little bonus episode coming up next week. This, yeah. was, this was your idea. This was your, uh, you know, a brainchild of yours. So tell me about our bonus episode for next week when we start talking the state championship games.
1: Yeah. Well, if you, if you listen to the, the podcast, uh, before, uh, usually we we get a uniform, uh, quip in usually at least once in a, you know, once an episode or so once a week. Uh, but before the season we did do uni rankings our, our uni uni view rankings, uh, and so I, I thought it would be fun if we maybe took a look at uh, some teams that we don't talk about. There's a, there's a lot of good uniforms uh, outside of our area. And so we'll, we're going to take uh, all uh, 16 teams, I suppose. Yep. And there'll, there'll be eight games. And what we're going to do is we're going we're to predict the games, all eight classes of state championships, based solely on who has the better uniform, uh, in, in our opinion. So at, at most we'll, we'll have one team, uh, from our area in and Winslow that could potentially be playing all the other seven classes will be teams that we don't cover. So <laughs> we might as well predict it based on who looks better. Uh, so yeah, that'll, that'll be a lot of fun to see some looks. Um, I'm thinking that we'll do a video for that one, Greg, so we can put some images up of, uh, these teams uniforms and so think, the, the listeners can see it.
0: I think we have to, this will have to be yeah. a YouTube video, uh, you know, along with the podcast. So if you're, if you're into uniforms or if you just want to hear our takes on uniforms and the state championship games, tune in next week. That's going to be a ton of fun. And also, like I said, I'm hoping that we're talking a lot about Lena Winslow representing the Northwest yep. Upstate Illini yep. playing for a 1A state championship. So, Mitch, let's jump right in with the eight-man, eight-man yeah. football. We've talked yeah. about it all year long, and we've said all year long that we really thought an eight-man state championship game was going to come through the Northwest Upstate Illini. If you were going to win it, you're going to have to beat somebody from the NUIC. And sure enough, that rings true because here we go. We got Polo going up against Orangeville. Longtime NUIC rivals squaring off in Monmouth Friday night, seven o'clock. Let's talk about how they got there. I think the impressive score of the weekend for me was Polo 50 West yeah. central 14 Mitch. I was walking the sidelines at Lena Winslow with Kyle Campmeyer, and he kept checking for the updates. And man, every time he had a score update, his smile got a little bigger because he knew that man, year in and year out, the NUIC shows up this time of year. They did it again in this matchup. Huge win for Polo.
1: Yeah. And, and look, you know, Polo's undefeated. They're the defending champion. So it's not like it's a, a huge surprise. You know, they've been putting up, they've been putting up 50 all year. It seems oh, like. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, if, uh, if Kyle was, I can only imagine Kyle being on the silent. And his phone had to have been buzzing because those scores came early and they came often in this game.
0: Yeah. I don't think, yeah. I didn't mean to you know, indicate that it was a surprise that they won, I think the surprise came in the final score. I really was thinking pretty highly about West Central coming in. Yeah. And I think they have a lot of weapons coming back next year, which we'll get into in a few minutes here. But, man, the defending champion going back to 2019, Polo Marcos, mm-hmm. they make their second consecutive eight-man state championship game. Unfortunately, for the formerly top-ranked West Central Heat, man, like you said, this game was, this game was out of reach almost pretty early yeah polo scored on their first six possessions they led 42 to six at the half that's what shocked me was that score I mean polo's been doing it all year long but man this one they left no doubt that they're headed to the state championship game and in my estimation they may be the favorite heading into the state championship game
1: yeah. Like, like you said, West central was formerly top ranked. They were number one uh, at one point during the season. I think they lost to Amboy uh, pretty bad. And that was a game that surprised us. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, no slouch in West central by any means they had a great season, but Polo has just been, has been really dominant. I saw the highlights from this game and man, the, the speed that they have it, 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 first, you know, in eight man versus 11, man, you're going to see a, a little bit of a different game there. There's, um, you know, teams that have speed are going to have a little bit more success. And Polo absolutely does. Um, you know, they two guys, Avery Gnoble and Brock Soltow. I mean, once those guys have a hole, they are gone. They are, they are absolutely gone. And so it's a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of fun to watch these Polo Marcos. So yeah, like you said, um, you know, they didn't play Orangeville in the regular season. One of the few teams that they didn't um, with there not being very many eight man teams. Um, but and we'll get to them in a minute because they also have a really good running attack. So, uh, but, it, but in this one, like I said, the, the, two names Grenoble, he had 272 yards and two touchdowns. Soltow had 176 uh, and two scores. They were both over a thousand on the year, Greg. So yeah, they just, you know, and, and that's not to take away anything from the defense, because if you look at the scores from Polo this year, this, this sort of separation is really not uncommon. Um, so Polo is just a very, very complete team. A lot of fun to watch, and and like you said, they're going to be playing for their second straight title here on Friday night.
0: Yeah, Mitch. Before we move into Orangeville and Amboy, you know I do want to give a little bit of credit and just a little appreciation for West Central. They yeah. had a great they had a great season, and I think they were injury plagued throughout the regular season. They came back strong and they made this you know little playoff run into the semifinals. But they got some guys coming back. I mean they they still have. Um, Mason Carnes at quarterback, who's a junior. They have Caden Drost as a junior running back who's been doing damage all year. And they also have a Parker Meldrum also returning in the backfield. So they got some key pieces in place that I think could be really impactful for them. Mitch, looking at their, you know, eight man resume, they're now 14 and three in the eight man ranks. So they've done really good work. And I think mm-hmm. they'll be back, you know, and they're a team that, maybe a little bit, if I'm being honest, kind of not flew under our radar, but we didn't talk about them enough because they, they aren't in any of our conferences. They were in the Lincoln trail and we probably should have, you know, looped them in with the Lincoln trail more often because they're still in there for other sports. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I think they're a team led by coach Jason Kirby that, you know, they'll be back again next year. They got a lot of pieces in place, but this polo team really, you know, Really did well in that matchup, obviously, the other day. And they seem really primed for, you know, a good performance coming into the state championship game. Is that the same Jason Kirby that was at Bureau Valley? That's the same Jason okay. Kirby that, yeah, he was at Bureau Valley. Uh, he was at United Township for a brief stint. Okay. He was at Sherrard. He's been at several different locations over the years. Okay. Um, and so, yeah. So now, so now here he is at uh, at West Central. And he, he's getting the, you know, he's getting the performances out of these players. Yep. He's he's getting yep. the job done. So they came up short in this one, but I think there's, you know, some things to look forward to for them next year and moving forward in the eight-man ranks. But Mitch, let's drop down to the other side of the bracket. Orangeville, the number three seed, they're now at eleven and one. They get the thirty-four to twelve win over Northwest Upstate Illini rival Amboy. Amboy had kind of a, you know you know, kind of a little run here on maybe unexpected a little bit, but um, they really played well in these playoffs. Amboy trailing 13, 12 in the third, they had a chance to take a lead, but the Bronco defense held strong, stopped the Clippers on three straight plays to preserve the lead and take momentum over from there. That was a huge point in the game in the third quarter. Like I said, just down by one after getting out deep in their own territory, (laughs) the Broncos turned to Caden Cahoon who took a sweep around the end for 58 yards for a touchdown that put Orangeville up 21 to 12, and they would never look back after a three and out on the ensuing Amboy possession. Orangeville put up, put the game away 13 plays, 80 yard drive ate up nearly eight minutes of clock. That's what you got to love in the eight man game because a lot of eight man is the explosive plays for big yardage because you have that space in the field. But yep. if you have the ability to grind away the clock, taking up eight minutes, you can really control a game, especially an eight man senior running back, Gunner Lobdell capped off that drive with a 39 yard touchdown run. He then capped off the scoring minutes later on a seven yard run. So, you know, just a really great effort. Lobdell 36 rushes for a total of 224 yards. That puts his season total... At two thousand two hundred and sixty-four yards.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I think he. I think he set a record.
0: I think we got a new leader here, Greg. Is that right? Yeah, I believe. Yeah, Lobdell is now the NUIC's new leader in the eight-man career rushing yards, two thousand five hundred and seventy-eight. He passes former River Ridge running back Caleb Rhodes. So shout out to him. Huge credit to him. He now has rushed for forty-three touchdowns in his career, Mitch
1: yeah this is yeah a special player in the state um and really like you said he had he had nearly 2,300 yards this year um in a game that they you know Amboy was upset-minded they were playing really well this entire postseason um and as you said they were only down a point in the third and before before Orangeville really took things over so um but going back to that that drive and and really kind of weaving our way into the championship game where Orangeville is capable of putting together those 13 play drives and chewing up eight minutes clock, Whereas to your other point where we see a lot of explosive plays in eight mans, that's polo specialty. So you you have two very contrasting teams here that we're going to see on Friday night. And I think that's going to be a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. I love it. When you start looking down the way here, polo 12 and O Orangeville, 11 and one. NUIC rivals, but did not meet in the regular season. It's perfect. Yep. Bitch, these two, their last meeting was week one of 2018. Man, that seems like a lifetime ago. Yeah. <laughs> you know, considering everything the world's gone through since then. Yep. But in 2018 and week one, Polo gets the 34-31 win over Orangeville. I believe that was when they were both still playing 11-man football. So yep. this will be their first meeting. As eight-man teams, and it's perfect. You could not draw it up any better than having two teams that are nearby rivals that did not play each other heading into the state championship.
1: Yeah. Um storylines abound in this game, you know, having two you know uh previous conference foes. Uh you have Polo going for their second straight title, you have Orangeville going for a title in their first year in eight-man. So um as we kind of referenced a second ago, two of the top rushing, rushing attacks in the state, uh, regardless of class. Um, and so this game, you know, might go over uh, pretty quickly. Uh, there could be a lot of points. The, it, it'll, I think this game will be one on defense, which which defense can really stop the other because they're just so strong. Uh, Polo has proved to be that way all year. They haven't given up a lot of points. Um, but Orangeville, their only loss, I believe, was to Milledgeville, I think. Um, and that was a team that Polo only beat by two. So um other than that, other than that for both teams, they really just kind of flew through the year. So this'll this will be exciting. Um our our first state championship of the year. Um uh, again, <laughs> we'll get into the I should say later, but this should be sanctioned. This should be played at DeKalb. Um, and hopefully we're we're getting there. I, I don't know. You know, if there's more teams coming in next year, uh, it doesn't matter because regardless, it should be a a quote unquote sanctioned uh, state championship. But it's cool to see that they do their own thing. And uh, I'm I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, I was about to say, get this game on the turf, but it is on turf. It's in my, it's at Monmouth College. So it is on turf, but get this game in Champaign and DeKalb. That's where this game needs to be played and play it on Friday night, or I guess I guess play it on even well, Thursday would be Thanksgiving. So never mind. My idea has already failed. I'm thinking on the fly. That wouldn't work. Yeah. But find a way to get this game involved with the other uh, you know, 11 man football classes. Yeah. Mitch, this is Polo's second straight championship appearance, which we referenced. This is Orangeville's first state championship game since 1989, when they yeah. won a state title in class 1A. So going back to when I talked to Kyle you know, back, I think before the 2021 spring season, right when this podcast started. And I said, I think a really good thing moving forward for programs like Milledgeville, like Orangeville, like Amboy, some of these programs that are moving down into eight man is that they're proud programs who had had success sporadically over the years, but in 11 man in recent times, they were struggling to keep it year in and year out because of numbers. Now, could an Orangeville team have made a run in class 1A this year? I don't know. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it would have been hard based on the reality of the numbers. Right. This eight-man opportunity affords this community a chance to celebrate a trip to a state championship and potentially celebrate a state title. Right. That's what's really great about eight-man becoming a more viable option. These teams needed it. These schools needed this option because numbers dictated they weren't really going to make it otherwise, or at least if they made it, they weren't going to have the success that they were hoping for. I think this really is a great thing for the area schools that needed it like this. Yeah.
1: We um, even went back to Orangeville, you know, go back to the start of the season. You're not only are you starting in a a whole new style of football, but they also had a new coach, you know, their, their coach left to go to Morrison uh, at the end of last year. So, you know, (laughs) what, what must've been going through the minds in Orangeville as they transitioned to this eight man with a new coach and here they are, uh, however many weeks later playing for a state championship. It's
0: pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, it's a really exciting matchup when you start talking about, you know, Orangeville having, Lobdell as their go-to running back. I mean, he yep. is the definition of a workhorse back. He's yep. getting the carries, he's getting the yards, he's producing the touchdowns. On the flip side, Polo has a really balanced kind of two-headed monster in yep. Grenoble and Soultau. So, you know, who who can make those stops? Who can step right. up defensively and get a few stops along the way, get a key turnover? Because obviously, I think points are going to come in this game. But if you can make that stop here or there, it goes a long way in winning an eight-man state championship.
1: Yeah, I think you're going to see maybe some, maybe some passing too. I, I don't know quite much on Orangeville's passing attack. But I know for, for Polo, you know, Tyler Meridian doesn't throw a whole lot. Um, he does run, but doesn't throw a whole lot. But when he does, it's effective. So I think that, that could be maybe, maybe an outlier in this game uh, with, with both teams locked in on, on each other's rushing attacks. Can a quarterback make a play? Can a play action play, uh, make a pass? So, um, you know, Radian's done it. He did it in, in this game uh, against West Central. His only pass, pass of the, the, the game was a touchdown. So can they can they have opportunities like that and take advantage of them? Maybe that's what's going to put uh, one team over the, the other in this one.
0: Well, yeah, I think that's interesting that you note that, you know, if he can pass, he didn't need to do it against West right. Central. You know, right. if the game plan dictates that you don't have to, that's fine. But come the state championship game, yeah, if you can make that critical pass and kind of catch a defense off guard a little bit when they're looking elsewhere, yeah, that could come into play huge. So um, check out uh, NUIC football on Twitter or on Facebook. Uh, Kyle posted a link to where this game can be live streamed if you can't make it to Monmouth. But Monmouth College, 7 o'clock Friday night, another eight-man state champion will be crowned. Polo going up against Orangeville. Mitch, I got to be honest. I just love it. I love that it's, you know, it's two NUIC teams and it's, it's the schools that we've talked about. Yep. And we, you know, it's teams that we take pride in saying, hey, this conference is good every year and they, they've proven it out and here they are.
1: Yep. I'll, uh, I'll be watching it because uh, I'm looking forward to this game and, and looking looking for some more, as we keep talking about, looking for some more spotlight to be, uh, to be shown on 8-man football. Uh, And what better way to start? If you, if you haven't gotten into it before, uh, what better way to start with a state title?
0: Absolutely. Well, Mitch, we're going to move into class one, a now, but we're staying in the Northwest upstate Illini in the quarterfinals. Lena Winslow gets the decisive victory 54 28 over Fulton. Mitch, I was there. I I took a road trip, took a road trip with my intern, my son, Casey, we went Mm -hmm. up there and man, I was glad I did because I have not, I've seen some video. I've seen the highlights. I haven't had a chance to watch Leland Winslow in person this year. And man, from, <laughs> from the opening possession, Mari Roby showed me that I, I've been missing something. This is yep. a, this is a team I needed to watch. Man, yep. Mitch, he is electric. I yep. just, I don't know how else to say it, man. He is fun to watch. I I've been covering high school football in this area for nearly 20 years. And just that the way he started that game was like, man, there are players on this field, and he's on another level. he's yep. He's shiftier, he's faster, and he's just he's just ahead above everybody on that field. It was fun to watch early in this game.
1: Yeah, uh, he certainly wasted no time, and it's good to see for for a couple of reasons. Number one, as we talked about last week, coming off such a, a harsh injury in the fall you know you weren't or sorry back in the spring yeah you weren't you weren't sure one what the recovery timetable was going to be and and two if he was going to be the same type of player because he was a big reason uh or a big factor in their 2019 state championship um so you just you didn't know if that same electric player was was going to be back and maybe in the beginning of the year all the signs weren't there just yet getting his feet under him a little bit but uh, and I think we'll, we'll probably touch on this in a minute in their, in their playoff games so far this year, Greg, he has 592 yards and 10 touchdowns <laughs> yeah. in, in what three games. Yeah. Um, so he himself, this Lena team coming off of two losses in the regular season, which is rare for them. They are on a different level. Um, Cause they beat a really good Fulton team that was, that was on a similar type of path. And so this, it's, it's the Lena wins the old and, and they're, they are playing their best football at the absolute best time.
0: Yeah. We'll get in. We'll break down the game a little bit in a second here, but I want to go back to the point you just touched on. I think that it's been a slow build, whether it was intentional or whether it's just kind of the way that the season played out. I think it's been a slow build for Mari Roby getting back to this level that we knew he could get to. We saw that talent, that we saw flashes of it when they want to stay title in 19. We knew it was there in 2020. And Mitch, do you remember? I mean, me and you had just started this podcast yep. and we were so anxious for football. And it was Lena Winslow and Princeton. And it was a live stream on YouTube, which at that yep. point, it was like you rarely ever got to see a game live streamed on, on the, you know, anywhere. Mm-hmm. We're watching that game and we're so excited because we had just talked about Mari Roby. And we're watching the game live and immediately texting, like, oh man, I think Roby's out. I think he's out with an injury. Like, I think it's I, I think it's pretty serious. I mean, me and you were both like, we were crushed because it was yeah. like, this well, is such a talent that we wanted to see. And that
1: was right after he had like a 65-yard touchdown run. He Absolutely. had scored he had scored already in that game. And I don't yes. know if it was cause he got hurt when they were on defense. Yeah. So I don't know if that was the ensuing possession. But yeah, he had just this huge game, the, the, the two programs that we would have loved to have seen play. Yep. Uh, and he breaks off this, this huge run, you know, Panthers might be upset minded playing a bigger school. Uh, and then when he goes down, it, it just turned the, the tide of the game. So um, yeah, I, I could not be happier for, for him and for this, this program that he's back. Um, but as you were saying earlier, maybe it was kind of by design uh, or it just kind of took some time for him to get really going. It certainly helps when you have Ethan Fye, Gage Junker, and an entire team like Lena Winslow to either assist you in getting back to full strength or taking the load off of your shoulders.
0: Yep. Well, let's break it down, Mitch. Lena Winslow gets the 54 to 28 win over Fulton. And Mari Roby's first two touches of the game, scoring plays of 71 yards and 38 yards that immediately put the Panthers up 12-0. Mari Roby had 202 yards at the half. Jake Zeal would score from one yard out with seven seconds left in the first quarter. That extended the Panthers lead to 18-0. Now, Mitch, for as much as I was impressed with Roby and the way he had that breakaway speed and that ability to miss guys, I was also equally impressed with Lena Winslow's defense really limiting what Van Campen and the Fulton rushing game could do. They really, that line of scrimmage, let up zero. I mean, they let up very little. I shouldn't say zero. They let up some, but very little damage was allowed at the line of scrimmage for a Fulton rushing game that had just ran through Marquette the week before. I Hmm. mean, I was really impressed what I saw the week before and Van Campen and his big bruising running style and Fulton really limited that and what they were able to do. Now I will give credit. I want to give a lot of credit to Fulton because they did then pivot to a more passing attack. Patrick lower of mm-hmm. the senior quarterback, the coach's son. I've been impressed with him all year. And the reason I say coach's son is because I've been impressed with his like football IQ, or you can just tell that he knows the game. He's kind of always that, you know, one step ahead type of player. He kind of sees the game in slow motion a little bit, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So the steamers would hit pay dirt for the first time after, after lower scored on a one yard keeper with five eighteen left in the first half Panthers gauge dunker immediately counters that with a six yard touchdown run. So that gave them the 24 seven lead. And you really felt like Lena Winslow was going to keep countering. They were going to keep countering and they did right there to build that 24 seven lead.
1: Well, if you're keeping, if you're keeping track at home, uh, that's four touchdowns for the Panthers. They have 24 points. They went for two every single time in this. game. Yes. <laughs> I was talking to, I was talking to my guy, Alina, and I was kind of ribbing him a little bit. I said, what's the deal? <laughs> you know, why can't you, why do you score from 70 yards and 30 yards, but you can't score from three. Uh, and he was just kind of laughing. He didn't know they, they had converted something like 80% of their two point conversions all year. And I, you know, you were there, I don't know what type of plays they were running, but um, it was just kind of a weird thing that they were, they would, make these long runs or these long drives and score, <laughs> but then they couldn't punch it in for two more points. So I, I, I found that kind of weird, but credit to Fulton, I guess, um, uh, for, for stopping it.
0: Yeah, it was interesting. Cause yeah, I did, you know, obviously noted that as well when, you know, they would go to Roby in those two point conversion attempts and, you know, Fulton was knifing through and they were getting to him and they yeah. were making the stop and they were, you know, containing. So they had the 24 seven lead there after Gage Ducker had the, you know, the counter punch. But on the ensuing kickoff, Brock Mason has the kick return for a touchdown going 77 yards. So that closes the gap to 24-14 with 425 left in the first half. And at that brief moment, you started to think like, man, for as much as Lee Wynn has kind of dominated this game, it's only a 10-point game and we're almost to halftime. But back and forth, the teams would go. Roby scored for a third time with a minute 39 left in the half. Fulton then comes back on the next drive. Steamers get down to the five yard line. This is where their passing attack really came into play. They were moving the ball. They get it down to the five. A touchdown by Jacob Jones is called back on a penalty. They get one more try at it in the first half. Roby intercepts the lower pass in the end zone and that kind of sealed that kind of capped off that momentum. You thought Fulton was building something and man, who's the guy who steps up? It's Mari Roby for the interception.
1: Yeah, well Greg, did you did you have eyes on that because they score and they called it abiding the runner, uh, which means that he was either pulled or pushed in. You don't see that called a lot and
0: that's a t- that's a tough spot to make that penalty. No, and he was, I mean, he was okay. you could definitely tell that there was a huge pile And I give huge credit to Jacob Jones because, man, he was fighting for every inch and, you know, scratching and clawing and, you know, grinding for every yard he could get. But I think once he got into the pile, I do think there were linemen in front of him that were then kind of pulling him back, you know, pulling him as they fell backwards. So I think that, yeah, you don't see it called very often, but I can see it being a legit call. Yep. Okay. So moving into the second half, Mitch, I do owe... (laughs) I do owe Ethan Fye a huge apology because I posted all the highlights on Twitter and I posted our view from the West podcast <laughs> highlights on YouTube. Yeah. But people are going to notice that Ethan Fye's first play from scrimmage in the second half, his 59, 57 yard touchdown run is mysteriously missing.
1: What happened, Greg? Tell the folks what happened.
0: I got, I don't know. Like I wish I had a better reason, <laughs> but man, camera malfunction literally i had full battery i just had my trusty intern casey i was was gonna
1: say you could blame it
0: on casey and no one would know but i can't even do that because he had just (laughs) given me a fresh battery and we had just said like hey let's get a new battery in second half here we go and i don't know what happened i'm covering the highlight i'm right over it and the camera goes black nothing worse stop take the camera battery out put it back on camera restarts. We were good mm. to go from there, but I don't know if it was cold or what, but something, something didn't work right. And I tried to recover the footage to see if I could get even the first half of the run, but no such luck. So mm. ap- <laughs> apologies, to Ethan, apologies to the five family. Yeah. Cause I really wanted to show that highlight, but I just, what a, have what a moment,
1: what a moment that just is, is left in, uh, okay. <laughs> in the video, in the video space somewhere.
0: Man, there are many highlights that have you know, been yeah, lost but... on the editing floor, and that is one that I will long yep. likewise, regret because that, yep. that hurts. But anyway, that was a big turning point in the game because you felt like Mario Roby's interception kind of grabbed the momentum, and then immediately Lena Winslow wasted no time yep. in kind of sealing the deal on this game because that that Ethan Fye touchdown puts him up 40-14. to
1: So did – did Lena Winslow score on? So it was Mario Roby's first touch that he scored. Was it their first play in the first half too, or no?
0: So Fulton had the ball first in yeah. the first half, right? And Lena Winslow scored on their first possession, on their first look, play, look. offensive play.
1: Okay, so they scored on their first play yes. in both halves. Okay, correct,
0: Got it. correct, Got it. And big and big plays too. Yeah, right. And as we've referenced, from two different playmakers. You know, for as much as we've talked about Mari Roby this game, Ethan Fye deserves a ton of credit going back for this entire season because when Roby was getting the attention from a defense in the pregame strategy, it was Ethan Fye doing the damage a lot of times early in this season. So he had his big, you know, his big play here. And that I think was what really put this game out of reach. Dunker would later add, Gage Dunker would add his second touchdown of the game in the third quarter that made it 48 14 Fulton's remaining two touchdowns would come through the air like I said I give credit to the steamers to head coach Patrick lower and quarterback Patrick lower Mm -hmm. they went they went to the air when they needed to because they knew the running game wasn't working and they had success Balen Damehoff caught a 15-yard touchdown pass Mason also caught a five-yard touchdown pass but it was just not enough in this game Lee Wynn puts up 497 yards of offense, 492 on the ground as Mari Roby rushes for 256 and three touchdowns. Gage Dunker, as we talked about, had two scores. Phi had 77 yards and a score. So a great effort from this Lee Wynn team. Mitch, man, forget two losses. Those are distant memories. This team seems primed. For a state championship,
1: yeah. Uh, just going back, you know, they lost to Dupac in a close game, and they lost to and at the last last second. So credit to both of those teams for beating Lee Win. But uh, yeah, the the Lee Win of old, and the, and the Lee Win that we all kind of expected at the beginning of the year uh, is here, um, and it's no surprise to me or, or you. I don't think that they are the last team remaining that we that we're talking about. Um, because they just are, are an entire package. They do so many things so well. Um, and they're going to have a, a tough game here in the semifinal that we're going to talk about in a minute. Um, but let's put some more credit to the Seamers. They finished 9-3. and three. Um, You know, that ties for the best finish under head coach, Patrick Lower. Uh, Brock Mason actually set a Fulton school record for receiving yards in, in a season. He had 711. Um, and when you when you think Fulton, you don't think <laughs> receiving uh, yards, you know, at all, or, or passing offense, but I think they kind of flipped that narrative this year. Um, so yeah, a, a great year for Fulton, uh, in their first year in the NUIC making all of the quarterfinals, uh, and your loss is to the defending state champion and potentially the upcoming state champion, you know, it's, it's hard to say. Um, so it seemed like the team was in good spirits. It seemed like they all knew that they, uh, you know, were, were proud of one another. They had given it their, their all. Uh, And that's, that's all you can ask for. So kudos to Holton on a great year. It was a fun team to cover.
0: Yep. We talked a lot about Ethan Van Campen and Jacob Jones a week ago in the win over Marquette. And we talked a little bit about Brock Mason, but I want to give a shout out to him. I mean, because he was, you know, he was a big impact player in this game when they needed a spark, they got it on that kick return and Mitch funny story. So as the game is going back and forth and you know, my trusty intern Casey is consistently saying, Hey dad, can I try to shoot a play? Can I try to shoot a play? And I've let him, I've let him here or there. I've kind of prepped him on how to, you know, keep the camera up there and get, you know, get the shot you need. And uh, sure enough, he said, Hey, can I shoot the kickoff? And I said, yeah, sure. I said, shoot, shoot the opening kickoffs. He did it for, uh, you know, one of the Lee win kickoffs earlier in the game. And then he did it for this one, and sure enough, Brock Mason returns it for a touchdown, and it ends up being a highlight on TV. Yeah. So uh, yep. you know, so Beautiful. Casey knows how to get his highlights on the air. He knew. Yep. So Brock he should, Mason
1: he should have been filming Ethan Fi's touchdown,
0: it sounds like I, yeah, yeah, he probably should have been because yeah, maybe we wouldn't have had the malfunction we did. So yeah. uh
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so Mitch, let's move into the state semifinals in class one a on the northern side of the bracket ridgeview lexington at eight and four going on the road to lena winslow at ten and two saturday 2 p.m at lena winslow at the athletic bowl mitch i gotta be honest this ridgeview lexington team is not the team i expected to be on this line
1: yeah um i think this is their first year as a program um No, they've actually,
0: they've been around a few years. I did have it up. Yes. It surprised me because we talked about it a few weeks back that I was shocked that Lexington didn't have their own team anymore, but the more I looked into it and I did read an article, it kind of jogged my memory that yeah, Lexington had struggled with numbers and struggled with, you know, performance on the field. And so they, they made this move a few years ago, but, but this is, yeah, this is a great run by them. Certainly.
1: Yeah, so just looking back in round one, they beat Rushville Industry thirty-four to six. They they came into round two and beat Prue St. Bede forty-seven to twenty, and then this week uh, they beat top-ranked A Town fifty-one to twenty-one. So this is a team that is is really putting up impressive numbers, um, you know, week in and week out here in the playoffs. Came in at five and four, and as we as we talked about uh, with with other schools, a lot of times you just you just don't know because. Teams that they're playing, they're four and four and zero in their conference in, in the uh, the small school division of the heart of Illinois. Uh, so that means they played five other games, and presumably against bigger teams, it's, it's hard to say. So, um, yeah, they, they they have a really solid rushing attack. I I, I liken them to to Foreston, a team that doesn't pass a whole lot, controls the clock. Um, they got a they got a kid named Caden Farrell. Um, he was over 1,500 yards in the regular season. He had like 160, I think, against A-Town. Um, and so I think that that is just their MO. They can they can control the clock. They score on their drives. Um, and so when we get into the semifinal matchup, this is where that lean defense that you talk so highly about is really going to have to make sure that they don't get into that rhythm uh, because that seems to be uh, how they've been winning here in the playoffs.
0: Yeah, so before I kind of jump into – that aspect of it. I do, looking back at their schedule, like we said, they were a five and four team heading into the playoffs. Yep. Not a team that was necessarily on my radar. Yep. Now they were um, they were four and zero in their side of the conference. Yep. When you look at their losses, and their losses came in week one to DMac, Mac, two uh, A, I believe a two A playoff school. They lost mm-hmm. twenty to twelve. Their other loss came to Downs Tri-Valley, who's 9-0, who's still in the playoffs playing really well. They lost to that one 35-14. Their third loss of the season was a one-point loss, 28-27, to El Paso Gridley. Now, El Paso Gridley was only 5-4, but either way, it was on the road. They lost by one point. So if a few things happen differently there, there's a potential flip in that game. And their yep. other loss was 43 42 to Eureka, who was a six and three team who ended up in, I believe, class 3A.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So th- they had some losses in there that, you know, they were quality losses. Now it's still a five and four record. Great. But what I, w- I, I will defend it a little bit in saying that, you know, you got Downs Tri Valley and they're, they're playoff teams, basically, yep. you know, for the right. most part, they're playoff teams that, that you're yep. losing to. So the question becomes, as you referenced, they can run the ball. They have run the ball through the year, but man, Fulton could run the ball too. And yep. I was really impressed with.
1: Orson could run the ball. Yeah. yeah. I, was <laughs> really Im- I was
0: really, I was really impressed with Van Campen this year and Lena Winslow really clamped down on him. Yep. And so Caden Farrell's going to really have to do some extraordinary work. Going to really yep. have to do some damage if he wants to get through, if they want to make ground gains on this Lena Winslow defense, because it, it was really tough for Fulton.
1: Yeah. Um, and, and, and two to your point, they, you know, maybe the Ridge Lexington defense has, has some holes or, or, you know, there there's a way to score against them. It's just that when they have the ball, I think their goal is to make sure you don't get it back or that your possessions are limited. Um, and so that's probably, as we talked about with Lena, to get Ridge Lexington out of their, out of their comfort level. That's going to be, the, that's going to be their game plan for Lena too, um, to not have those explosive plays, to not have those backbreaker runs uh, that have set them up so well in this playoff run. So um, two, two really, really good teams. Of course, you're going to get that a lot when we get to this, this, Uh, part of the the state tournament um but man I I don't know I haven't seen a whole lot on Richard Lexington but I've seen a lot on Lena Winslow and just the way that they're playing if if they were to lose all the credit in the world to Richard Lexington because if that were to happen the way Lena is playing I would I would consider that an upset um and uh I'm looking forward to seeing this game, seeing what Lena can do with a team outside of their conference, right. They were, they were used to Forreston or they played Forreston before they'd played Fulton before. Um, you know, they, they didn't have that with Aurora uh, Christian in the first round. That wasn't a problem. So, you know, how well can they adapt to a team that they don't know a whole lot about, I guess. Um, and that would certainly be something they'd have to do if they, if they went to the title game. Um, but as history shows, it hasn't been a problem for Lena in the past.
0: I just think, you know, what you kind of referenced there is that, You know, Lena Winslow has passed several tests this off this postseason. They beat an Aurora Christian team that likes to spread it out and pass. And they managed to beat a Fulton team that really wanted to run the ball first, and they weren't able to do it. And they tried to pass and they couldn't. They did that successfully for the most part, but it was too late. It was too little too late. Yeah. So Lena Winslow has passed the test multiple ways in this postseason.
1: Yeah, I think that is is the way that you could potentially get over Lena because I think when they played I don't remember the team that they played from Chicago um but that was a team that passed over them I I remember after that game that was one that the coaches were you know kind of thinking well they showed us some things that we don't see a lot in the NUIC um and then as you mentioned Fulton uh had a little bit of success in it Unfortunately, from my viewpoint, that is not a strong point for Ridgeview. So that might not play into their hands as much. So yeah. uh, we'll see. Um, uh, it, it'll be, uh, uh, it should be a good game. But I think it comes down to can lean can Lena's defense, control Caden Farrell, because nobody has. If you do that, I think you'll have success.
0: Yeah, well, like you referenced, Caden Farrell rushed in the quarterfinal game for 165 yards on 27 carries for four touchdowns against A town. So backtracking a little bit, yeah, you know, all the credit in the world to Abingdon and Avon. They had a great season. They finished at ten and two, but um, you know, they were a senior led team and they they played great. I mean, they they knocked yes. off a Knoxville team that we were very high on, you know, in week yes. eight. And then, you know, they were able to get a few few wins here in the playoffs. Easton Schischler, Mitch, this was a guy that we talked about a lot this season. His season ends completing 99 of 163 passes for over a thousand yards. So 1,455 yards and 19 touchdowns. He was also able to do some damage on the ground as well. He was just one of those, you know, he was one of those big time, you know, big game athletes. You wanted that kid in that position and he was able to make a lot of plays. Drake DeJanis had a great year. Parker Darst also for the tornadoes. So Credit to this senior-led A-town team for really stepping up and having a great year. They fall short in the quarterfinals, but overall, a great first season in the Lincoln Trail Conference.
1: Yeah, it really was. Uh, you know, fall to Fonta fall United there. It, that was in week nine, right? Yep. So Fonta United, they kind of they kind of go into the playoffs. They still hold on to that number one seed. But I'll, I'll be honest, I wasn't sure how, how long they might last just, you know, um, going off of that United game. And that was on me um, because like the names you just mentioned, especially Easton Schuessler, because uh, all, all three of their games that they played seemed that he had highlight after highlight um, and kind of just continued what he did all, all year. So um, credit to them for getting to to this point. Um, first time that they had been this far in a while, I think so. Yeah. Um, but I but, think, but I think year. it was
0: the, I think it was the first time a town had ever been to the quarterfinals actually.
1: So as okay. a program. Yep. Okay. Um, so yeah, this will be a completely different team next year. You know, you've got guys like Easton Shishler, Clay Slagle, Parker, Stone King, uh, Ty Dinkum, Leighton Damewood, uh, Drake DeJans, like you said. Um All guys, Parker Darst, all guys that were on the first all uh, first team, all LTC, Um, you know, late, late Damewood was the uh, unanimous, unanimous pick and he was the defensive player of the year. So,
0: um,
1: you know, this will be a reloaded team um, for for the Tornadoes next year. I'll I'll be anxious to see how they look. Um, But the senior class really went out uh, with a bang and they can hang their their heads high. They lost to a, a good program, good team. Not the way they wanted to, uh, may not have played uh all the all the or I should say the best that they they might have, but um either way, great season for them uh as the as the co-LTC champs.
0: Yep. I think uh, you know, head coach Rick Quinn and the and the Quinn brothers there, I think they are they're in good shape to to be competing year in and year out in the Lincoln Trail conference. So credit to them for a great year. You know, like we said, they fall short in this one in the quarterfinals. So Mitch, it's Ridgeview, Lexington, Lena Winslow on the yep. northern side of the bracket. But looking yep. down on the southern side of the bracket, if I'm being honest, there were two games that kind of were unexpected for me. You mm-hmm. have Moikwa Central A&M gets the 21-19 win over Arcola. And Carrollton gets the 28-26 win over yep. Athens. Mitch, two nail biters. I mean... You talk yeah. about the, the, the top side of the bracket, you know, games that weren't really close, but man, these games were down to the wire, two great football games.
1: Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll start in, in Malikwa. Um, We were kind of talking before the show, looking at their schedule. Uh, they played central uh, uh, central central camp, camp central camp point. What is it? I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> camp, camp point central. You got it. You who, had the words in there. Yeah. Who was uh,
1: one of the top seats in the South bracket. They played them in the regular season. Uh, they lost to them. And then in the rematch in the playoffs, Milwaukee came out on top. Yep. Uh, and that was a game that I, I don't think a lot of us either picked or saw coming. So, um, you know, the, the still, they're the defending runner-ups in 1A. They, they played Lima in 2019. So we could be, you know, potentially looking at a rematch here. But on the Carrollton side, I think we would all agree that we thought Athens would be the team to make it out of the South. And um, that game was, I think it was 28 to 20, um, going into the final couple minutes, and then Athens returned to fumble to keep it close. But Carrollton's a really good program, so this is this will be a good game, I think. And both uh, teams, I think, would would be a great matchup for either Lena or Ridgeview. And so uh, we got a lot of exciting football here. Uh, you know, three games left, two semifinals, and championship here in 1A. Um, it'll be it'll be fun to see who comes out of both brackets.
0: Yeah. Did I, I was following along on Twitter and then Kyle was keeping me updated on the sidelines and Lena, but was it a two point conversion that fell short for Athens? I think
1: that's yes. I think that is how, how that was. I don't know exactly what they tried to do, Um, but it was with only a couple minutes left. They had returned. They had a scoop and score and had a chance to tie it, uh, but fell short and Carrollton came away with a victory.
0: I really felt like, I mean, yeah, I think I thought Athens would win, but ultimately yep. I don't consider this a huge upset. Carrollton has been a really good football program for yep. the last few years. And so for them to get the win, I think it kind of proves that, that, you know, that they're, they're here. They're a great football program. And on the flip side, like you said, central A&M, I think maybe we're sleeping on them a little bit, but yep. man, they've been right there. I mean, that's a right. name we hear year in and year out. So, you know, for these two programs to be here in this position. Yeah. I mean, you know, Central a and 3 but I think, man, they're a good program. They deserve to be here, obviously.
1: Yeah, like, like we said, they are – they went to the state title game in 2019, uh, and they're playing really good football this year. If we're jumping ahead, Greg, to what we're going to do next week, this is a game of really good uniforms. Central A&M and Carrollton both look really, really good. So um, the Raiders – and I don't know what Carrollton's mascot is, but the, the week was uh, red, black, and white. Uh, Carrollton is, is green, black, and white. So, uh, they both do, they're both going to look really nice, uh, on Saturday there. That game is in Moikla, uh, with a chance to, uh, uh, move on to the title.
0: I believe Carrollton. Yes. Carrollton is the Hawks. So, okay. Yeah. Well, good. You, you've piqued my curiosity. I haven't seen central A&M's uniforms in a while. So you've, you've piqued my interest. I can't wait to look that up, but there you go. There's your look at class one, a, Mitch, it's going to be Lexington, Ridgeview, Lexington, Lena Winslow. And then you got Maweka with Central A&M and Carrollton. And they're they're battling for the shot to go to DeKalb. Obviously, that's the bracket we're probably following most closely because of most closely, if that's a phrase, maybe it is. That's what we're watching. That's what we're watching closely here because that's got our team left in it. Lena Winslow. But Mitch, let's briefly touch on the class 2A semifinals we have yeah. Downs Tri Valley who we've already referenced earlier they're yep. perfect at 12 and0 they go on the road to Wilmington who is also 12 and0 that game will be Saturday at five o'clock on the opposite side on the south side of the bracket you have Decatur Saint Teresa 12 and0 they are going on the road to Nashville down south who is at 11 and 1 that will be Saturday at one o'clock. Yep. So Mitch, I think we kind of knew Decatur, St. Teresa would be there. Yep. And Downs Tri-Valley was a team we talked about coming in. And Wilmington, they get the big win. They get the impressive win. And so they're moving on. And they're in the state semifinals now.
1: Yeah, I look, I look back at the round one game between Tri-Valley and Rock Ridge and how good of a game that that was. Um, because since then, Tri-Valley has really dispatched their opponents. Um, so just uh, again, credit back to to Rock Ridge for really uh, a great year, a great offense, and gave one of the semifinalists, potentially one of the finalists, a heck of a game in round one. Wilmington, a team that is <laughs> is destroying just about everyone that comes into their path, uh, beat, beat Newman forty two to seven in the second round. So that game will be that game will be a lot of fun. Teresa, a team that we've seen, uh, played against Dupec in the regular season um and Nashville being a team that is the uh defending runner-up in two-way they lost to Newman in 2019 uh I think that what's their seed Greg are they like a six seed they had like a lower seed for being eight and one
0: correct they are a six seed they beat the number two seed Pena down south beat them convincingly 43 to 19
1: yeah I don't think I don't think uh some of the folks thought that that would be an upset I think they liked Nashville so um yeah he, you know, heavy seating in, in the in the in two way for them to get a six seed but um if this game comes to or if the championship game goes to Wilmington and St. Teresa that's that's going to be a lot of fun but all, all four of these teams in two way uh deserve to be there and uh, whoever comes out on top uh, we'll, we'll put on a show in DeKalb.
0: Mitch we talked about it a week ago I I liked Breeze Modern Day I thought you know, they were going up against a powerhouse in St. Teresa, but I thought maybe – something. I didn't want to bring it up. Yeah, I didn't want to bring it up. <laughs> yeah, no, I'll bring it up. I'm I'm self-deprecating enough what was to the, say it. What, what was the final? 48-14.
1: So, okay, so if, if I'm – I'm not looking at it. I think St. Teresa put up like 64-62 and then whatever you just said.
0: Uh, 68 in round yeah. one. Uh-huh. 60 – no, sorry, 62 in round one, 68 in round two, 48, in the quarterfinals.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. So yeah. Um, I, again, yeah, I think that I was, I liked what I saw in breeze modern day, but maybe this even more solidifies how impressive St. Teresa is moving forward. I mean, that's a a statement win. And on the other side, Wilmington, who's traditionally, I think a three a school, I think this is one of the first years they've been down in two A, and they look really good. I mean, if you get a win over Bishop McNamara, A private school, which we'll get into that in a minute. But that's a a convincing 45-25 win. They look really good. So there you have it. Wilmington and Downs Tri-Valley on the northern side of the bracket and Decatur, St. Teresa, and Nashville on the southern side of the bracket in Class 2A. Let's head into Class 3A. We'll start in the north bracket. We had the Princeton Tigers remaining on our side of the state. They were going up against IC Catholic. They go on the road to Elmhurst and fall 31 to 7. It was a rematch of the 2015 3A quarterfinal when IC Catholic beat Princeton 37 to 12. The Knights defense was dominant all day. They really held what we've seen to be a dynamic Tiger offense in check. The Knights have only allowed 25 points in their three playoff games against offenses that we've been pretty impressed with in Monmouth Roseville. <laughs> Dupec, and especially Princeton. Yeah, Princeton, like we said, Princeton averaged 43.4 points per game. They were limited to one touchdown, an eight-yard run by Augie Christensen, with just three minutes left in the game. The Tigers managed just 78 second-half yards before their 10-play scoring drive in the fourth. You know, huge credit to the Princeton Tigers, Yep. They 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 fall short in this one. Congratulations to Bennett Sirens. He becomes Princeton's all-time leading wide receiver. Sirens finished with a career of a thousand thirty-three receiving yards. Yeah. So Mitch, we called his name a lot, and that and that was why because he he was making career numbers in Princeton.
1: Yeah, uh, a dynamic uh, receiver for them for for years. You know, obviously they went through a quarterback change this year, bringing in Teagan Davis uh, to, to under center and he continued to shine. And I, uh, you know, a uh, uh, special talent there in Princeton, you know, um, so to finish his career with over a over thousand yards You know, we were talking just earlier in the show about Brock Mason having 700 and, and, and is over a thousand. So, uh, yeah, great, great to end on a high note here, uh, uh, despite the loss, uh, and to etch your name into history and into Princeton lore, which is a, a pretty special place to be.
0: Yeah. And I think Mitch, Despite this outcome, this Princeton program did a lot of great things this year. And I think going back to last year, I think they were certainly robbed a little bit of what could have been with a very dynamic team that didn't have the chance at the playoffs. And so, you know, I hope that everyone in Princeton can be proud of the effort here despite this outcome, because this program and head coach Ryan Pearson has put them in a really good place. And unfortunately they ran into a really tough team. We'll talk about that in a minute, but you know, this Princeton team is, is one of the most fun teams we cover in this area.
1: Yeah. um, And it has been that way, you know, like, like I just, like I just referenced, they kind of had a little bit of shift. uh, Maybe in, in offensive philosophy, or at least in terms of personnel, Um, you know, they had such a good running back, you know, in years past. And now they bring in Tegan Davis, who's more of a dual threat, um, yeah, can punch you in the mouth in, in more than one way. And, and the results, you know, uh, spoke for themselves. They they lost to uh, a Kiwani team that was a bigger school, and they lost to an IC Catholic team that, uh, frankly, that we'll get into in a minute, should be playing a different a different class. Um, so their two losses came to two really, really good teams. Um, and so I hope that they they might have – a sour taste in their mouth, the way it ended. Um, but I hope that their heads are high um, because they were, they were a lot of fun to watch. They were a really good team. Like you said, 43 points a game, not many teams were able to do much against them um, and they should take a lot of pride in that.
0: Yeah. Mitch, let's, let's get into it. We we've talked a little sure. bit about it over the past couple of weeks with IC Catholic kind of running through this three, a bracket, But following the game, here's head coach Ryan Pearson. Here's his quotes. I've been around this game for a long time. They're the best football team I've ever seen. How they fell into 3A, I have no idea. I think it was one of the biggest mistakes the IHSA has ever made. That team should not be 3A. They've been competing in 4A for the last how many years? And then the IHSA, because of COVID, decided to take that away. That being the enrollment multiplier. And allowed these teams, these schools to drop down. It's not fair. It's just not right. The IHSA hurt a lot of public schools. That was Ryan Pearson's quote. And I think before we really kind of dig into it, I think his quote at the surface and knowing Ryan Pearson after talking to him, um, I, I don't think this is just sour grapes. I think he's been around. Yep. And he's seen a lot of football from several different schools. And I think he's speaking from a point of knowledge of the IHSA and of of the class system and of public schools versus private schools. And I think Mitch, we've hinted at it. We've talked about it a little bit when Monmouth Roseville got the draw and when Knoxville got the bad draw against Bishop Mack. And we talked about it last week a little bit with Dupec and the size of their community playing a team like IC Catholic out of Elmhurst. I think it's time we dive into the private versus public school
1: debate. Yeah. Well, yeah. Let let me, let me preface what we're about to get into with, with one thing that what we're about to discuss has, has nothing to do with, I, I, I would, I would say to you, I don't think this conversation has anything to do so much with, with with Catholic private schools versus public schools. Um, I, I say that because you went to a Catholic high school. My kids go to Catholic school. It's not about that. I agree. It, yep. it's, a, it's just about how the IHSA sort of places these teams because they, they are small schools in Correct. terms of enrollment. But where the problem is and, and where you know, Coach P- Pearson's, you know, emotions, are, you know, come through what he's talking about is that it isn't fair all the time that despite being a small school, there should be ways to make the competition fair for all parties involved. Um, but I, I just wanted to preface that this is not to say that, um, uh, we, we have something against private schools playing against public schools. That That's not the argument. The argument is making sure that it, it is, it is fair that teams that come from higher metropolitan areas like Elmhurst, it, it doesn't apply to every team, like, like a Newman that will get into them too. It doesn't always apply to apply that way. But when you take teams from Chicago, like a Bishop Mack from Kankakee from Elmhurst to pull in kids from a, a, a community, different communities from a, a big area, that is that is an advantage to them. And, and, and I just say, I, I think, you know, uh, made a, mis, a misstep here, I agree with Coach Pearson. Um, I, I don't, I think it's more timing that we'll get into that in a minute, um, but I just wanted to put that out there that it's not really a, a private school versus a public school thing, it's just how that they're positioned in the eyes of the IHSA.
0: Yes, I think that the the debate in name becomes public versus private, but I agree with you. I don't think this is anything against Catholic schools necessarily or private schools necessarily. I think that that's what the name, that's how we identify this discussion. It's also not to take anything away from IC Catholic, like, because
1: as coach Pearson said, it's one of the best teams he's ever seen. Um, so it's, it's not to take away from them. It's not to take away from Bishop Mack. It's not to take away from Uh, Newman. It's not to take away from Saint Teresa. They're still good programs. They're still really, really sound, well-coached football teams. It's just who that they should be playing against.
0: Yeah, and I think that you know, as we get into this discussion, I don't think we have any Bishop McNamara fans listening, but they would immediately, they would immediately say, "Well, wait a minute. If this if this is a big problem, then we should have beaten Wilmington, and they didn't. They fell short in Class Two A." So Mitch, I think it's important to get into a little bit of kind of how this is all shaken down over the years. Yeah. Yeah. So in 2019, the IHSA made a proposal that passed that allowed the multiplier rule and success factor to change a little bit. It used to be that if you qualified for the playoffs one time in a four-year period, you would get the multiplier of the one65 For private schools if you made state twice in a four-year period you were hit with that success factor that moved you up an additional class on top of wherever you fell based on the multiplier well that all changed in 2019 they switched to a model that was based on two-year intervals so now to get the multiplier applied to your school you must win three playoff games in a two year span to get the success factor that bump up to the next class. You must reach the state championship game in consecutive years So, uh, two consecutive years. So we look at these teams we've talked about in 2019, I see Catholic and Bishop McNamara both lost in the quarterfinals. A team like Lombard-Montini lost in the second round. But the problem becomes in this two-year model that we had no playoffs in 2020. Right. So there was no rule. There was no games to apply to 2020. Right. So here we sit where in this two-year model heading into this season. So Mitch, the new enrollment Restrictions or the new enrollment rules were put into place starting in 2021, which now hold for this year and for next year. So, with the enrollment being held for two years, IC Catholic is in 3A next year again. Mm-hmm. And actually, that's only because they petitioned to play up. They could have been in class 2A this year. Yeah. I think their enrollment dictated they would have been in class 2A. McNamara, Bishop McNamara, who we just referenced, will also remain in class 2A. So to be multiplied, you must achieve that three or more playoff wins in a two-year period. Yep. I think ultimately the IHSA has done a good job over the years of using the multiplier and also the success factor to try to alleviate this issue to try to level the playing field and keep schools from high, from high populous areas who are drawing Mm -hmm. from a large area to keep them competing against schools. They compete with year in and year out in conference play or at near where they're, you know, where they're located. Yeah. The problem becomes where I think the IHSA dropped the ball here. Is that 2020 had no playoffs. So yep. we just, that was just a wash. Right. So then, it, then it immediately became, well, you know, going back to a team like IC Catholic, they didn't reach the three playoff threshold, the three playoff yep. win threshold. So they fell to their natural enrollment. Right. And that to me, that to me is unacceptable. The fact that a team, a private school from Elmhurst, Illinois, who is playing in what could have been class 2A, but even class 3A, to me, that's unacceptable because it even says, Mitch, you go right now to IC Catholics website and you look at their homepage and their student enrollment talks about bringing in students from 36, no, I'm sorry, over 38 surrounding communities. Yeah, Mitch, You know how big the Elmhurst, you know how big Elmhurst is and these surrounding communities? You know how many high school age kids are in that area and they say, and they're being recruited to go to IC Catholic? You compare that, you compare that to Princeton High School, or you compare that to Durand, Illinois and Pecatonica, Illinois, or Monmouth and Roseville. Come on, Mitch.
1: Yeah. Um, so just to, to kind of, to circle back. Um, so since these rules were, this change started in 2019, that was year one. Yep. 2020 was still year two. Yes. Despite them not playing playoffs. So then where the IHSA missed was not to make that retroactive to the 2018 season, and then the 2019 season that was played. Instead, it's just a wash, and this 2021 year is "quote unquote" the first year that uh, playoff wins would get factored in. So, as you mentioned, these teams that we're talking about are, are going to be back in the same divisions or same classes next year, and only and only if they get uh, more wins. Will they move up to their respective or where they should be? I could get quote unquote, where they should be uh, to their classes. Uh, Bishop Mack only had two wins this year. So they only have to win one next year to, to kind of get there. Uh, IC Catholic has already met it. So in 2023, they will go to three a. Um. So yeah the it is good that this multiplier exists. It's good that the multiplier has always existed The misstep was to not you're i don't want to say that you're you're still punishing teams from not even playing in the twenty twenty playoffs because there was none, but that's kind of what you're doing because you're not making that rule retroactive to the past two seasons, if that's how you're going to apply it moving forward. Um, so again, will the rule be good in the future? Probably. I, um, I, I think it's a little bit harder to get that bump than it used to be. Um, so it, it might work out down the road, but it's, it's certainly not this year because for whatever reason they're, they're not, Factoring in that 2020 was a canceled season for a postseason, anyway.
0: Yep. And getting back to Ryan Pearson's quote and kind of where his emotion comes from, I'm 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 guessing, I'm speculating, but where I think his emotion is coming from is because it's twofold for this Princeton program. So I see Catholic almost benefits from there being no playoffs in 2020 in yeah. a weird way. And right. I know, I know, I, I don't want to dismiss the IC Catholic seniors in 2020. They lost out on a lot too. I, yep. I do not want to miss that point of this. Again, again, it's, it's, not, a, it's yes. not about IC Catholic at all. We're just using yeah. them as an example. Yes. So they, they lost out too. But I think Ryan Pearson's emotions come from the fact that in 2020, Princeton should have had or maybe would have had one of the best 3A teams in the state Yep. potentially going to a state championship, competing for a state championship, and they missed out because they didn't have playoffs. And then you skip ahead to 2021 and they're right there and they run into a team uh, like IC Catholic. And it's, I think that's where his emotions come in. And I get it because it is right. really frustrating. Well, and just,
1: you know, and then play devil's advocate here a little bit and say that it was applied this year. Um, now that would have meant that probably St. Teresa would have played 3A. If if the multiplier, if the rules now were were in effect, going back the previous two seasons, that would have probably meant St. Teresa was playing in 3A. But at, at the least, IC Catholic would have would have been would have been out of the picture, and you could have had a potential quarterfinal with Princeton and Dupec. I, I mean, that's what that's what the playoffs are all about. You know, and we're, we're robbed of a game like that because both teams lost to IC Catholic. Um, so, again, there would have been a 2A team or, or more than more than one, St. Teresa just pops out, that, that would have filled those gaps. Um, but as you keep moving up the classes, the teams get better and better. So I, I, would, I would say that IC is better than St. Teresa. So, but, uh, but again, going back to just the teams that IC beat. What would those teams have been able to do had they not had to play them? They were good teams. Rosa was six and three. Dupac was the NUIC champs. And Princeton was Princeton. Yeah. So, you know, you're like he like Coach Pearson mentioned that, you're, you know, um, the public schools get robbed a little bit in this. I, I get his point there. Um, but I think that, again, a lot of this goes back to the timing of it all. But the mistake was still made that either, either just mix the idea for a year, just stall it, or rec- make it retroactive, and that's where the miss was, and that's why we're we're in this now, and why we're going to be in it for one more year.
0: Yeah, I think it was ultimately bad timing all the way around. It, you know, to go into two year intervals and then you have a COVID year hit. It's just, yeah, it's it's terrible timing, but. It just, it's a bad look for the IHSA. Now, what I will say, and maybe some people are going to start screaming at their phones or their radios when they hear this, wherever they listen to this. I will defend the IHSA a little bit. And I think that ultimately the model is, is, is working in the right direction. They're trying to level the playing field. Now. Maybe it was a little better a few years ago before they made this switch to the two-year intervals. But from what I've read, the IHSA wanted to get to a point where the classes were a little more structured and a little more well-known year to year. So you didn't have this guessing game. But the problem is football is an entirely different beast than any other sport because you don't let everybody in. So by not letting everybody in, playoffs shuffle around year to year for example kiwani is normally a 3a program they got bumped to 4a this year you don't Mm -hmm. always know what class you're going to be in in football so the argument that they wanted to like kind of structure what classes what teams were in what classes doesn't really hold weight in that aspect because you know public schools are shifting around every year in football but again I will defend the IHSA a little bit. They're trying to make it a level playing field. It's not perfect. I don't know it'll ever be perfect. Yeah. But they're trying.
1: Well, let's, let's, let's go back to Newman. Um, because their, their enrollment, and you're, you can correct me if I'm wrong, because we talked about this, and I still don't know that I have all the facts on this. <laughs> but uh, Newman's enrollment is 215, which is 1A enrollment. Correct. The reason that they played in two-way playoffs this year was because in 2019, they had five playoff wins, thus meeting the three-win threshold for these new rules.
0: Yes. So even without playing in 2020, they still surpassed. Right. Yes, correct. <laughs> right. So, you know, I
1: think that for the flip side is where teams can also get hurt by this a little bit. Obviously, Newman has has played 1A, 2A, and 3A based on the multipliers throughout the years um but if if Newman wouldn't have lost to Wilmington if they were playing in 1a
0: you know how how far would a Newman win isn't Isn't it funny isn't it funny that in this discussion Newman ran into a Wilmington team now Mm. a public school that was normally 3a that fell down to two so it is kind of funny that that worked out the way it did but yeah yeah, you're right Yeah. And so,
1: again, Newman is is, you know, because you you don't see this in one a you don't see a lot of this in one a two A, you start to get it um, where the St. Teresa's and and whoever may be. Um, But again, Newman, like you said, when you when you said that I see pulled players from 38 communities, Newman pulls them from four counties. And I can only imagine that that population of the four counties is equal to maybe three communities in Elmhurst. Is way smaller. It's got to be. You're, you're yeah. pulling them from, you know, Newman primarily. Uh, I, I don't know the strategy of of enrollment there, but I would imagine that the the bulk of their students come from Sterling, Rock Falls, and Dixon. Yep. And that's it. Um, you know, if you if you've been in that area, it's a lot of cornfield. It's not a lot. If you go to Elmhurst, there's no cornfields in Elmhurst. <laughs> I don't know. I've been I don't have been there a long time, but you get my point. Um, so I think there will be years that this is disadvantageous to some teams, um, like it was for Newman this year. I think I think they would have made it a little bit further if they were playing in one A. Certainly. Um, it, it, again, it, it all goes just back to it's 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 an oak Well, it's to be seen if it's a good rule. But in our eyes, I think it's a good rule at the at the wrong time because COVID screwed it up.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's where I end on this is that, yeah, I think it's terrible timing. And I, I completely agree with Coach Pearson and I completely side with him. I think that it, it did. It hurt, it hurt some public schools this year that IC Catholic was able to drop down to natural enrollment and, and play in 3A and maybe should have even been two A based on their enrollment, because that there's no way there's no way that pulling from DuPage County, which is huge, massive, that that, that is not a that is not a two A area, that is not a one A area. It's just not.
1: Well, and even in in Bishop McNamara's situation, you're pulling from Kankakee which there's so much talent in that area, both the public school and the private school make deep runs into the playoffs. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, um, it, just, it just goes to show how, how much or how many people there are to pull in versus, uh, we'll use the 3A uh, semifinals example, Elmhurst's 38 communities that they're pulling in versus Byron. And, and the, you know, yeah. Byron, Byron's having a heck of a year. And I hate to say that it's probably going to come to an end, um, maybe not, but it's just the situation that they're put in. So, yeah, it's just, it's, it's a rule that for this year and for next year is going to hurt some teams. Um, and hopefully in 2023, things kind of settle a little bit. So, you know, coach, coach Pearson's point is, is well taken. Um, and so it's just gonna, uh, be something that we, we have to deal with for at least one more year. And then starting in 2023, hopefully things have shifted in the right direction.
0: Yep. I agree. Totally agree with all that. So Mitch, we'll move in. We'll, we'll actually talk about the three, a bracket yeah, now that we've, sure. we've taken that long detour, but well worth it. The class three, a semifinals Byron on the road at IC Catholic Saturday yeah. at four o'clock. So there you go. There's the next school that has the challenge. It's, it's up uh, to Byron now.
1: Yeah. And speaking, you know, speaking of Byron the top ranked team in the North bracket, they had a heck of a game. Um, yeah, was that, was that against Reed Custer? I think right. Correct. Yep. And they they won with nine seconds left on a on a pass. It was it was awesome. It was a great uh, a great game to watch. Reed Custer is a great program. So, um, and again, I, I don't want to take anything away from from Byron because maybe they maybe they pull it off. It was only um, those two teams met up in the 2017 semifinals and I see Catholic uh only one seven nothing, and that was when I c Catholic was in the middle of their three uh their three run stretch of three straight titles, so you know um uh, not to say that everything is grim for Byron, but it's stacked against them for the for all the aforementioned reasons um, yeah. so but but again as I, I, as we've as we've <laughs> kind of kind of shamed IC Catholic in this whole conversation, uh they're just an innocent bystander here. they're a really good program they are very, very good. Um, it's just that how good would they be playing in a class that is more uh accurate of their their enrollment situation um and, and talent overall?
0: Yeah, again, it's yeah, they're the you know, they're the punching bag because they're the team that's right now, you know. Back yeah. what if we were if we were doing this podcast 15, 20 years ago, it'd be Addison Driscoll. That'd be the team, yeah. you know, and that school yeah. is closed down, no longer exists. And now it's, you know, like I knew that. Yeah, they don't. Yep. They're done. Yep. That, if,
1: for anyone who's listening, who is not familiar, that was the program. That, oh yeah. They was, won. That was the standard back in the They won back, eight in a row. Yeah. That, that was the, uh, it, it, what, what years is that? The two thousands, mid two thousands, nineties. I don't even know, but that yeah. was, Yeah. that was the, and I don't know what class they were in. Well, they that, beat like 4A.
0: They, they beat Bureau Valley one year,
1: so that yeah, was 2A or they, 3A. I hung, yeah, I think they hung around that 3A, 4A range, but that was that was the standard uh, back in the day.
0: Yeah. So, Mitch, we have Byron and IC Catholic on the northern side of the bracket and Mount Carmel at 12-0 at Tolono Unity at 12-0 yeah. on the southern side of the bracket Saturday at 2 o'clock. So two undefeated teams meeting down south. Uh-huh. That one, that, that one's exciting. And it's, you know, it's, it's good teams left. I mean, you know, yep. it's great football left to be played in class three. A obviously. Yeah. Uh, if, if you want to talk good football, talk about four. <laughs> unbelievable. Class four. A I don't, even, I don't even know where to start. Well, and this is, and this is, this is two
1: again. Rare. Yes. These teams, I don't know if all of them would apply.
0: Richmond wouldn't. And, no. and
1: Ro- well, it, Rochester's played five. A. But for, for Joliet Catholic and Sagaret Griffin, those are five A teams yep. playing in four A.
0: Yes, correct. And for maybe this one year, well, obviously next year too, because we've talked about it. Yes. But man, you talk about a who's who mm-hmm. in Illinois high school football lore. <laughs> right now, you have Joliet Catholic, JCA, 12-0, at Richmond-Burton at 12-0, Saturday, 2 o'clock. On the southern half of the bracket, You know, just ho hum. Just a couple programs: Sacred Heart Griffin at Rochester. Uh, Yeah,
1: how many? They probably got what eleven state titles between the two of them, something like that.
0: It's it's unbelievable. I've been following uh Channel fourteen fifty out of the Springfield area on Twitter, and I mean, this is this is the biggest Super Bowl game. You know, I mean, I mean, yeah, the state championship will be huge if one of these teams makes it there and wins, but when you start talking SHG and Rochester, mm-hmm. and it's, it's the Leonard bowl. It's, yeah. it's dad versus son. It's, it's, you know, head coaches going against each other. And actually I saw a thing the other day that, that the head coach for sacred heart Griffin is uh, the father and he hates this game. He hates playing this game. Cause yeah. it goes up against his son. It's just, it's yeah. crazy. I mean, it's, it's what we've kind of been eyeing all year long but here it is, you know, SHG and Rochester in the semifinals. finals yeah.
1: And that, that was a quarterfinal for Sacred Heart Griffin where they played uh Breeze Central. And there was kind of discussion as, you know, how would uh how would Bree Central stack up because they're really a very, very, very good team. And it was 55-14. So it just goes to show the parity sometime in these in these teams, um, where they're they're playing down a little bit or just not being multiplied yet. Um, but, but again, you're going to get good football here. You know, um, Richmond Burton, um, a good program. They beat Phillips who beat Kiwani. Um, yep. So yeah, four, four is absolutely stacked. Whoever comes out of that. I'll, I'll guess that it'll be JCA and sacred heart. And I, I don't imagine that they've never played in the state championship before. I bet that they have. Um, and, and just like you said, the who's who. Um, the almighty's of, of of the uh, of Illinois <laughs> state championship football because those are names
0: that you see no matter the class you see them uh, you see them there every uh, year. Mitch, you want to talk about you want to talk about distant memories that weren't that far that weren't that long ago. Yeah,
1: we're we're gonna tell on ourselves here. Uh, whatever you're about to say. Yeah.
0: Hold on a second. Uh, Joliet Catholic was okay. one and eight in 2016. Woo. They were three and six in 2017 okay and you thought man what's wrong with joliet catholic yeah well don't worry in 2018 they won a state championship so
1: <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's uh, again you're, you're pulling from so many communities
0: i know it's, only a, I know. it's yeah. only a matter of
1: time it's only a matter of time before you have a powerhouse program and then when you add that in with playing down it's just it's you know it's a recipe for for disaster for a lot of teams
0: well and it's funny you say that because guess what that year they won a state championship they were 10 and 4 overall record so went into yeah. the playoffs at five and four
1: so you can yeah, play that... played six eight teams probably all year and yep. then played yep. down.
0: yeah so mitch we've already we've already discussed that <laughs> that at length yeah. but uh you know, that's that's the way it that's the way it sits in class four A. Mitch, anything else class five A and above that you wanna, uh, you wanna talk no, about? I'm
1: looking, I'm looking, I guess while we're here, just to mention them. Uh nine seed Sycamore, they're nine and three taking on Oak Park Fenwick. Uh they are the two seed at 10 and 2. In the in the south bracket, the number one aforementioned Kankakee. Uh they are 12 and all going up against the seven seed Morton, moving out to six A here some more familiar names that we've talked about. If I can get to the right bracket um, top seed, carry Grove 12 and all playing in Lake forest in the South East St. Louis that we talked about before uh, playing Crate Monet. I be mean, a good that's dream.
0: a game. That's a game. Yeah. If you can find a live stream, watch East St. Louis and Crete Monet that, I mean, those are two powerhouse programs and, man, East St. Louis seems like just a wrecking ball. I'm say
1: East St. Louis is going to win that no matter who they play.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's what it seems like. But I'm intrigued yeah. by this matchup because Crete Moniz has been a, a really good football program year in and year out. But, anyway, yeah, that should be yeah. fun.
1: Uh, getting into 7A, again, you get into the who's who. You have Brother Rice going up against Wheaton North. Uh, Brother Rice had, a, had a, a nice win over Mount Carmel in the quarterfinals. In the South bracket, St. Rita going up against Mount Prospect. And then closing it out in 8A will be the winners of uh, Loyola Academy, which won three nothing over I... Lincoln Lake East. Like what a what a
0: weird game that was. And I saw people referencing that in this playoffs, we've had a three nothing win and a 94 and to 72. Yeah, whatever that was with, yeah. with Rocky and uh, Springfield. So yeah, uh,
1: so yeah, really really good game. Maybe there uh, they'll they'll take it on Lockport. Uh, who just beat glenbard north in the quarterfinals south side of the bracket uh, chicago marist and maine south so again pretty much from 4a through 8a a lot of teams that we see a lot regardless of the class um be really good football so uh for anyone listening next week uh have have your, enjoy your thanksgiving and then if you can uh if you're in illinois or if you have access to i don't even know what channel they play it on anymore since i'm not there um, but, but make sure that you got, you are planted in front of a TV on Friday morning, uh, cause that's always, it's always a fun day, at least for us to see football on that early. Um, and plus for what's on the line. So, um, Friday and Saturday, I should say with, with the weekend, but, um, yeah, all, all eight games, just thinking about who's in the semis now, really excited to see the state championships this year.
0: Yeah. And we'll have one state champion decided by the next time we talk. Yeah. Not
1: to take away from eight man at all. We just, yep. it's been like an hour and a half since we talked about him. So um, <laughs> That's yeah, true. that'll be, that'll be Friday at seven. Yes, um, And so that'll be, we'll get that. We'll get that first. That'll be the first uh, state champ of the year. And uh, it'll be one of uh, one of the teams we've covered here from uh, the NUIC. So that'll be a lot of fun.
0: That's right. So to everybody listening, thank you so much. Next week, we'll be recapping that eight man state title game, which we just talked about. We'll be talking about Lena Winslow and if they've advanced on to DeKalb. And we'll be talking about the rest of the brackets. We'll be be breaking it down and talking about the state championship games. But Mitch, we'll be talking uniforms and our predictions. Yep. Our predictions are coming one way only. I'm
1: not looking at stats. I'm not looking at highlights. I'm looking at pictures, and that's my only basis for what we're going to talk about. I don't know. I don't care if they have six commits going D1.
0: doesn't matter to me. If you look good, I'm picking you. That's right. It's all the old adage, look great, play great. That's our only qualifier. Yeah. If you look good, we're picking you. And I dare I say, I think that's the only... that's the only analysis you're going to get that's, that's yeah. that insightful on uniforms going into the state championship game. You're going to find it right here.
1: Yeah. Let's all, let's also hope that it snows uh, because that's, <laughs> uh, especially watching like old, old state championship games where they're playing in the snow. Uh, it's, it's a cool scene. So uh, in DeKalb, they could get it probably more frequently than champagne does. So uh, we'll see what the weather holds up. It'll be cold. So might as well, might
0: as well snow. And last quick plug, if you're bored this week, waiting for high school football, head out to view from the West podcast on YouTube. We got all the old state championships posted up there in playlists. You can find teams from all over our area who played in state championships, who won state titles. I've been doing it. I've been watching. and I think that's going to lead into our next kind of fun off season project. So uh, we'll get into that down the road, but Mitch, thank you so much. We'll be back next week talking some recapping some state titles and talking some preview of state, some next state, state weekend. Titles. Yep, yep, state weekend will be fun. That's right. All right, Mitch. We'll see you next week. All right, sounds good. That'll do it for this week's episode of View from the West. Thank you so much for listening. I encourage you to go out to Apple Podcasts or Podbean and subscribe so you can follow along, and downloads will come automatically every week. You can follow along on Twitter at View from West Pod. You can also email me if you're interested in being a sponsor, viewfromwestpod at gmail.com. Thanks so much. We'll see you next week.